we're looking at Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 1 to 6. And uh, this is uh, the word of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking here. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we ask that you would be our teacher, that you would uh, bring our hearts before the truth of your word, and that you would give us soft and teachable hearts, that we would know that your word is for our good. And I do pray that this passage would shape us as a community, that we would be a, um, a church uh, that uh, is just filled with grace in our relationships to one another. Uh, teach us how to be gracious. Teach us to love one another as you have loved us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so uh, we're talking this morning about the topic of judging other people, which, uh, you know, in our culture, this is maybe the m- most quoted Bible verse, at least outside the church, you know, judge not. Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged, Christians. And uh, so uh, this is a big issue, uh, this question, you know, especially um, uh, for many people who uh, don't go to church. Um, many people would say that the big reason that they don't go to church is because Christians are judgmental, they're self-righteous, they look down on other people, they think they're better than everyone, they're holier than thou. And so um, this topic that Jesus uh, brings up is uh, a big issue for us as we think about uh, being a light in Bellingham, uh, a welcoming place where we're opening uh, our doors uh, to those who don't know God, who don't know Christ, um, this is important teaching for us. And um, I, I think that one of the reasons that it's so important is because for most of us, when you step into a community like this, you just intuitively can feel in the air. There's an atmosphere that you know, um, is this a place where my life is being inspected? Is this a place where I need to put on a show? Or is this a place that can handle the real mess of my life? Which one is it? And actually, things that, that are, are very subtle, that are spoken, um, that you might not even notice, that you might not be aware of, it's just an atmosphere, it's a smell, it's an aroma in a room that people, when they just come to a church, they almost instantly know it. Is this a place where I can, where, um, I can work through my sin, where I can be a sinner, where I'm allowed to be a sinner? And, and, to be, and to be welcomed here. Um, because, um, and I think that that's uh, one of the biggest questions any church community like ours needs to ask is, what is the atmosphere? Because people are drawn to grace. People are drawn to the grace of God, and, they, and when they see it, it is attractive. They want to come to it. They've never experienced anything like it. And so I think that Jesus is teaching us what kind of community we should be when he says, uh, you know, judge not lest you be judged. But, um, of course, this is a delicate issue. Um, because when Jesus says judge not, does that mean that 
we don't have any moral convictions about anything or we don't think anything's wrong and anything goes and what, you know, live your own life. It doesn't matter. We don't have any opinions about anything and you, you know, choose your own morality, whatever. Uh, that's a, because evidently not, that's not what Jesus thinks because uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been saying, don't be like the hypocrites who, you know, pray in the streets and show off with their religious, you know, so he's calling some group of people hypocrites and he's, uh, and actually even in this passage, he says, you know, don't, uh, don't cast your pearls before pigs. So there's some group of people that Jesus is referring to as pigs. There's some group of people Jesus is referring to as hypocrites. And later in this passage, there's some group of people he calls false prophets. So Jesus is evidently doesn't want us to turn off our kind of critical um, uh, faculty. Uh, and he still wants us to make moral judgments. But in some way, he doesn't want us to be uh, judgmental. So it's not that we have no level of discrimination. But the act of judging takes tremendous care. How do we make moral judgments uh, about ourselves, about others, about the people outside of this church, about people inside of this church? It takes a tremendous amount of care. And I think that these words from Jesus we have to take uh, deadly seriously. This is our king. And the Sermon on the Mount is talking about what is life in Jesus' kingdom like? What, is, what, is, what are the people in his kingdom, what are the kind of rules for his kingdom? And he's laying them down for us, and we're, we're called to obey them. So uh, this morning, as we talk about this question of judging others, I want to kind of talk about it under two headings. The first is uh, the danger of judging others. What danger is there? What spiritual danger to our souls is there when we judge other people? But second, the skill in correcting others. The danger in judging others, but the skill in correcting others. So that we, uh, on the one hand, we need to refrain from judging, and on the other hand, we still uh, are involved in each other's lives, and we need to know how to correct one another. We need to know how to speak into one another's lives. How do we do that well? So those are the two things we're looking at. First of all, the danger of judging others. And I, uh, I want to highlight three dangers that I think Jesus gives. The three things that we should guard against as Christians and as a Christian community with our moral convictions as we look at the world, the first thing is, the first thing that uh, is a danger to us is, is the wrath of God. Okay, I think that's the first thing that there's no way, as a Christian, um, this is what Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So there's kind of this question of like in the Christian life, what is the the thing that I should kind of that should uh, the sin that should most cause me to tremble and to feel God's wrath kind of nearing upon me? Jesus says the thing that is going to cause you to tremble and fear is if you have a judgmental, um, uh, condemning spirit towards other people, you should be on guard because whatever uh, how your your kind of a level of critique of other people is what's going to be turned back on you. And so that's, you know, I don't think that generally, you know, as, you know, we're a conservative Christian church, I don't think conservative Christian people tend to think this is the thing that should make me tremble is a, uh, is a uh, condemning spirit. And that's what Jesus says, is this is the thing that you should be guard against. This is the thing that, that should uh, cause us to beware. Because if you really are a Christian, then you know how profoundly sinful you are. Even now as a Christian, you know how sinful you are. 
And uh, that you're only standing before God is by his sheer grace. It's not because you're a good person. It's not because you've kept his law and kept his commandments. It's surely by the grace of God that Jesus paid for my sins. And uh, he died for all my sins. He gave me his righteousness. And now I stand clean before God, not based on anything that I've done. And so, um, and so in the question of judging others, Jesus warns us of moving away from God's grace. And, um, you know, he, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says something very similar in chapter 6, verse 14, where he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So your interaction, your level of critique of other people is exactly what God's going to turn back on us. So that should cause us to fear. That, you know, how, do you go, how do you want God to interact with you? You want him to overlook your sins, you know, your anger, your bitterness, your lust. You want him to be gracious. And, and even the ones that you don't confess, even the things you're not aware of that, that are sins in your life, you want him to be gracious and, and cover over those for you. And so if we want God to be that way with us, that's what he's calling us to be towards others, okay? So first of all, the first danger in, in having a judgmental spirit towards other people is, is the wrath of God itself, okay? Second... A danger is a severity of spirit. Is that if we're judgmental, we can learn a severe spirit. That can become the habit of our heart to be severe towards other people. And uh, look at verse 2. For the judgment you pronounce, uh, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And uh, Jesus is saying that we can learn a habit in our hearts of seeking out other people's faults. Like, we're looking for them. So, you know, in the last week, we talked about Jesus says you should seek out the kingdom. You should look. Where's God at work? Where's God's reign happening? We can have almost an opposite heart where we're not looking for the power of God and the grace of God at work in the world, but we're actually looking for faults in other people, that we take delight in other people's faults and that we can have a severity with them and uh, a condemning spirit. And uh, John Stott, who's a, uh, he's written a great commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, says this. It does not mean to assess people critically that Jesus is talking about, but to judge them harshly. The censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. You hear that? Enjoys actively seeking out other people's failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. And Astat uh, actually goes on to say that when we're judging others, the big problem with that is actually because we're setting ourselves up as their Lord and judge. We're saying, you, your life is about meeting my uh, standard for you. And, um, and I'm putting myself in the judgment seat. But Paul says in Romans 14, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. So for us to understand, and that's freeing. I'm not the judge. God is the judge, and everyone stands before God alone as the judge. And, um, you know, I'll tell you one thing that happens. Most of our judging happens on an unconscious level. So actually, uh, I've been reading an interesting book about the kind of difference between uh, your conscious mind and your unconscious mind. It turns out you're... Your unconscious mind is, is so much more powerful than your conscious mind so that when you, um, 
you know, just by nature, when you walk into a room, you walk, you know, if you're a visitor here, for example, and you've never been to our church before, you come in and immediately, you, unconsciously, you're just gathering data. Uh, you know, how are people talking to each other? What are they wearing? Where do they sit? How loud are they talking? What do they do when we're singing? Am I supposed to stand up? You know, and you're just collecting data everywhere. And, um, and what your unconscious is doing is gathering all that data and finding out patterns and making generalizations about this community. What? What do they think? What do they do? How do I act here? How am I supposed to be act to fit in in here? And this is a tremendous power that our un unconscious has to take thousands of bits of information and to make uh, generalizations, to make judgments about people uh, with that information. So, you know, ex you know, if you go to a funeral or something you, and you've never been to a funeral, you're, you're going to be alert to what, am I, how, what tone am I supposed to talk in? Uh, what topics of conversation am I allowed to have? What should I be wearing? Um, uh, all of these, these things that we're collecting data and we're making judgments, and we're making judgments about people all the time. And what happens is our subconscious takes those things and we make patterns. We make um, uh, grids, lenses through which we understand the world. And so all of us need to understand that when we come into the world, we have these, these paradigms, these lenses that we're bringing, and we're making judgments about people all the time with those grids, and we're not even aware of them. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's actually a tremendous power that your sub unconscious has. Actually, I read that, you know, your, your unconscious, um, its processing capacity is 200,000 times stronger than your, you know, rational kind of conscious mind. Uh, what you're doing unconsciously is tremendously more powerful and, and doing far more all the time. And, um, but one of the things that Jesus is saying is that we need to be aware of these patterns and judgments that we bring, and that we can train ourselves in these certain patterns so that we become very severe, that immediately we just condemn people. You say, oh, you think that? You believe that? You do that? Bad, wrong. You must, you must be an immature Christian. You must not be a Christian. And, uh, and so we need to constantly be um, modest about these paradigms. And, and one way to guard ourselves is to continu continually come back to the question, First of all, are any of my lenses actually shaped by the Bible? Because one of the things we see throughout the Bible is that we have a tendency to add paradigms and lenses to the Bible, to what that Bible actually says. So is this, is this something that the Bible requires me to be condemning of or to be judging of? Does the Bible demand that of me? So we're constantly modest about these paradigms. And um, I think the reason in a church especially we have to be on guard against this judging spirit is because oftentimes when we're judging people, we believe that we're honoring God in it. We think that we're honoring God. Even with our severity, we think that we're honoring God. Um, but this is uh, the third, this is, um, we're not honoring God. And the reason for that is because of this third danger in judging others that Jesus says is there's a danger that we could develop a hypocritical character. When we're judging others, we must be on guard that we're not becoming hypocrites. And in many ways, in very often we are. And uh, this is what Jesus says in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log that is in your own eye? So uh, Jesus uh, says, the reason that we should be extremely slow to judge other people is because we know ourselves to be profoundly sinful, deeply sinful, that we are malicious, that we, uh, we tear people down, we, uh, we are bitter towards people, we are judgmental towards people. There's all kinds of sin living inside of us. And, uh, and for, 
for me to put myself over the judge, as the judge over other people, I should be highly suspicious of my own heart that I, that I could ever make that judgment uh, accurately. How could I make that judgment accurately if, I, if I'm sure that I'm, I'm a sinner? And it's interesting here that, you know, Jesus uses the word, if you, you know, if your brother has a speck in his own eye, but you, you have a log in your own eye, and actually the word there, it's, a, it's like a plank that you have in your own eye. It's kind of like you have a two-by-four sticking out of your head. And, you know, you just imagine that if you're going around kind of trying to correct people and uh, judge people and tell them what's wrong with them, and, and they have this little speck in your eye, and you have a two-by-four, and you're kind of like, oh, two-by-four, let me get that speck out of your eye, and you're just like whapping them with the two-by-four back and forth. They're like, get away from me. Get the two-by-four. And uh, that's essentially what he's saying is like, uh, if you have this profound sin, and now you're making yourself the corrector, the judge that's going to instruct other people, you're going to do great harm to them. And it's, and it's actually profoundly hypocritical. And actually, there's a, a, a really uh, powerful um, place in scriptures, Romans chapter 1, where uh, uh, Paul, uh, Romans 1 and 2, where Paul speaks to this a- exact issue. And um, Romans chapter 1, if you're not familiar with it, it's uh, about halfway through it, Paul talks about how the, the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness. So it's this this beginning of the kind of ominous uh, holiness of God, and, talk, and it's beginning to talk about how all people are sinners. All, you know, religious people, non-religious people, Gentiles, Jews, everyone is, is a sinner by nature in the sight of God. And it, and it, and it begins by talking about that the, the main sin that we have before God is idolatry. We take, uh, we uh, worship other things that aren't God, and we make other things the center of our lives. And so Romans 1 begins to talk about the effect that... Uh, that uh, idolatry has on humanity as a whole. And it goes through and it talks about, um, you know, worshiping the creature. And then it goes in and it talks about uh, sexual sins. It talks about homosexuality. And, um, and there's this kind of, and then it goes into God gave them over to a, a debased mind. And there's this kind of, um, um, Paul is painting this picture of um, what idolatry does to humanity. And as the kind of religious person, the conservative person is reading this, they're saying, idolatry, homosexuality, you know, give it to him, Paul. Yes, the downward spiral, the wrath of God is being poured out against all these things. But then you come to the end of Romans chapter 1, and Paul gives this list. And I want you to listen to this list of of the the bottom of the barrel sins. That um, when the wrath of God is at its worst, this is, this is what it looks like. And I want you to hear these descriptors as describing a religious, judgmental person. They were filled with all, man- with, uh, all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, and then these are the last two, heartless and ruthless. And it's this amazing uh, turn that Paul does is he's doing this downward spiral of the depravity of sin, and at the very bottom he says that religious judgmentalism, self-righteousness is at the bottom of sinfulness. And then this is what he says in the next chapter. There's a chapter break right in between, which is unfortunate. But the very next chapter he says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. 
And so he's bringing the religious, the, the self-righteous, and, and the lost, the Gentiles, the pagans, the idolaters, the sexually immoral. He says we're all sinners in the sight of God. No, and then in chapter 3 he says, No one is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so the danger of judging others is that I'm in that. That's my nature. And so for me to put myself as the judge of all other people, that I'm the righteous judge, I'm not. How could I? How could I be? Okay? So profound dangers that Jesus gives us to warn us we should be modest and very slow in our critique of other people. Okay? and especially within the church and without of the church. But I'm going to talk more about that. But this leads to the second question, then. Are we never going to point out each other's sins? Are we never going to speak about our faults to one another? Can we never have that kind of honesty with each other and to challenge one another? Don't we want that in our lives, for us to challenge each other with the truth of God's word? So uh, this is the second heading we're going to look at, is uh, the skill, then, of correcting others. The skill of correcting others, and I want to uh, draw out a six kind of rules of thumb for how uh, the Lord Jesus calls us to correct one another within the church. How do we speak to one another? Um, how do we deal with each other's sins? When you come in here and you see other people acting in a way that you don't think they should, you think they're sinful, that you think they should be honoring God in more ways, how do you respond to that? So the first thing is this. First, we should understand that most wrongs should not be judged at all. Most wrongs should not be judged at all. So, I mean, that's kind of the beginning. Jesus says, judge not. Okay? Take it simply. Just don't judge it. <laughs> don't look down on people. And now this is especially true about non-Christians. So uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5. Sorry, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture throughout this. But um, uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Paul, there's this kind of scandal that's happening in the Corinthian church where a man is sleeping with his stepmother and the Corinthian church just says, hey, it's okay, whatever you want to do is fine. And Paul says, what? you know, you need to address this. But then Paul says, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? I, listen, I don't have any jurisdiction over someone who's not a Christian. They've never said that they want to follow Jesus and um, I have no position to judge them. And Paul says, I don't, I don't judge non-Christians. It is not, uh, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. So first of all, non-Christians, the Bible explicitly says it's not our responsibility to judge them. But secondly, uh, but particular, this passage is talking about people inside the church. Verse 3, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? So he's talking about what happens when we see sin in each other's lives, uh, you know, errors in each other's lives. Uh, what do we do with that? And... Um, I think that this is important because what's going to happen in this church is you're a member of this church. There's going to be people in here that are going to slight you. They're going to disrespect you. They're going to, uh, you know, not listen to you. They're going to, uh, they're going to say something that's offensive to you. Um, or they're going to be in a sin that you, you think they should be more mature than that. And what are you going to do with that? That's going to happen all the time in this community. How are we going to handle that? And I think that the first thing that Jesus says is you just let it go. Let it go. Like Proverbs 19.11, this, you should memorize this. It is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. It is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. Just overlook it. You can do that. You're free to do that. And uh, there, I put a little quote from you that is very similar to Proverbs 19.11. The art of wisdom is the art of knowing what to overlook. It should just be our habit to overlook things. And the reason... 
for that is because in our Christian lives, there are all kinds of things, ways that we are acting in rebellion against God, uh, disobeying his commands all the time throughout our life that we're not even aware of. And what do we hope God's going to do with those things? We hope he's, he's, they're under the blood of Jesus. We hope they're covered. And I, I hope I don't have to confess every sin I ever do in order for them to be uh, accounted for. No, the blood of Jesus covers all of them. And, I'm, and, and they're taken care of. And he passes over them. And he, looks, he overlooks them. And so that should be our first kind of habit as a church is we overlook, the, we overlook all kinds of offenses and, and sins that people do. Judge not. Okay? The second thing, though, when we do address things in the church, correct others, uh, is we assume it is only a speck in the other person's eye. Assume that what we are addressing is only a speck. Okay? Um, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? And, um, you know, actually I was talking to Shannon a little bit about this passage uh, yesterday, and she was talking about um, how our, one of our tendencies is when we sin, see sin in other people's lives, is we begin to define them by that sin. Say, oh, this person struggles with that. That must be who they are. And instead of realizing you know, there's a lot more to the story for this person, they're, uh, you know, the spirit is at work in their life. They're, they're growing in other ways, and they're stuck in this sin. And to not magnify the sin uh, greater than it really is. Now, why, why do we do that? When we see sin in other people's lives, why do we magnify it? Why do we grow it, you know, expand it and make it bigger than it really is? And one of the reasons is because we want to justify ourselves, right? I mean, when we haven't embraced the gospel that I'm saved surely by grace, when I think I have to be good in order for God to love me, then I'm constantly going to be comparing myself to the people around me. And if I, if I see a sin in someone else, I can say, well, if, if that sin's really bad, well, then that makes me feel better than they are. And so it's a self-justifying spirit that I want to elevate myself in, in the sight of other people. And it's not really believing the gospel. And, um, and so Jesus calls us that when we see a sin in other people's life, as much as we can to see it as a speck, there's a little thing that needs to be addressed. To see the sin in our own life is big, but the sin in other people's life is small. And, to, and, and any way that we can, to try to um, give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, I think it's a good thing when someone's, you know, offended you or they've done something, you know, they're sinning in some way, to try to say, well, you know, they, they were having a bad day. They had this going on and, you know, they didn't really mean that when they said that to me. And, uh, you know, whatever way we can to say this is, this is a speck, to make it a speck, that's a way that we be generous to other people. And I think uh, another reason also that we um, tend to not see other people's sins as specs, but we see them as, as big, huge sins, is because uh, C.S. Lewis says that um, in every generation, every generation has what's called pet virtues. They have certain virtues that they think this is what righteousness is. If you do this one thing, that's what really counts. And all the other virtues, they don't really count that much. And so, you know, and, and that's not just true in, in generations, that's true in churches. So churches have different kinds of pet virtues. You know, some churches say you got to be really good at theology. Some churches say you got to care for the poor. Some churches say you got to do evangelism. Uh, some, some churches say you got to have really good fellowship and care for one another. You got to have really good worship or really good preaching. Everyone's got their pet virtues and they judge everyone else based on their pet virtues. And you say, if you don't have this one thing, if you don't raise your kids this one way, if you don't do this, uh, you know, handle your Christian life this one way, then you're not righteous. And so it's our pet virtues that cause us to magnify other people's sins instead of seeing them only as a speck, okay? So second thing is we assume it's only a speck in the other person's eye. But third, 
we assume there is a log in our own eye. The way that we, uh, this part of the skill of correcting others is we must assume that there's a log in our own eye. See, notice Jesus doesn't say if there's a log in your own eye. You know, if you see a speck in your brother's eye, if, he doesn't say if you've got a log, make sure you handle it. He says, make sure you handle the log in your own eye first. He's assuming there is one. He's assuming you have a bigger problem in your life than the person you're correcting. You have a bigger problem in your own life than the person you're correcting. And uh, I don't think most of us think that way, but that's exactly what the gospel says. Whatever you're seeing, whatever little bit of sin you're seeing on the surface in the other person's life, you don't even know what the real sin is. You haven't seen the heart of it, but you can see your own heart. And when we're, the gospel tells us that we are all um, profoundly uh, more uh, sinful, more selfish than anyone else knows. And if we really look at our own hearts, um, we can see that, gosh, whatever I'm seeing on the surface in this other person, you know, I, I see someone snap at their kids. I say, like, wow, that was harsh. That should immediately cause me to, to think about all the ways that I snapped at my kids uh, all week long. And how much, probably, how, how much more, you know, we snapped at people in private than this person did in public. And I probably do it more. And what that tells us is that one of the things that we need to do is that when we see other people's sin, it should be a mirror for us. Instead of us saying, gosh, wow, that person is messed up. Why are they like that? We should say, wow, that's sin. That's unattractive. How is that in my life? And until I've done that, until I've seen that that sin is all over my life, it's all over the place, I'm not ready, I'm not qualified to correct that person. So Jesus commands us, until we've gone through that process of analyzing our own life and saying, how is that sin, using them as a mirror to see my own flaws, I'm not qualified to correct that person, okay? Um, and um, by the way, you know, this little phrase, uh, you know, that you, you take the log out of your own eye before you, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, this is, of course, uh, essential for a healthy marriage, so uh, anyone who has experienced a healthy marriage knows that you have to go through this pattern weekly, daily. This is a regular pattern. When you're locked in conflict, you will be locked in conflict until you say, what is the log in my own eye? And again and again, when you do that, when you, uh, in a relationship, you say, you, you're in conflict, you see the other person's fault, why don't they get this, what are their problems? When you come and you say, actually, I see how selfish I'm being in all this, period, what this little bit of wisdom that Jesus gives us takes conflict, it takes sin, and uses it as an opportunity for intimacy. Because anytime you do that and you go to someone and you say, this is the log in my own eye, period. I'm not going to get the speck out of your own eye until I've dealt with the log. It always draws the person in. It always draws them close. And it opens them up. It softens them. It makes them ready for whatever you have to say. It makes them ready for reconciliation. And so this little bit of wisdom is the key to intimacy. Okay, in a marriage and in many other relationships and many friendships. So we assume, it's just our assumption, I know there's a log in my own eye, I know I'm a sinner, so I need to find it. Okay? Fourth, correction requires gentleness. Correction requires gentleness. And um, so Jesus does say that we need to attend to the speck in our brother's eye. If there's a speck in our brother's eye, if there's a sin in their life, he does tell us to address it. Right? He says in verse 5, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then when you see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he does want us to address the sin in, in, our, um, 
in our brother's eye. And I think one thing that we should take from that is, you know, we're a community, we're a church, we're all sinners. We assume we all come here as sinners. One, it should be my assumption, being in this family, that I'm going to have to be corrected sometime. <laughs> I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to sin against you. I know I'm going to sin. I know as a pastor, I've already need to be, have been corrected multiple times, many times throughout the course of this church plan. So it should just be your assumption. Uh, listen, I'm a sinner. I'm secure in Christ. God loves me. If, even if I'm a sinner, God still loves me. And, and I need people to speak into my life. I need people to challenge me. And to have that and to not be defensive, to not have our defenses up and say, how dare you speak into my life? No, I, it's my assumption that they will. But when we speak into people's lives, Jesus insists that it should be done with gentleness, right? He uses this image of taking the speck out of an eye, right? You know, an eye is like the most delicate part of the body. If you're going to take a splinter out of someone's eye, what do you do? You know, you say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stick my little finger in there, or I'm going to stick this little Kleenex, soft Kleenex in there, kind of brush the, the splinter out, hold still, and I'm going to come in slowly and, uh, you know, keep your eye open. Right there profound gentleness to take the splinter out. And that's, that's how he says when we correct one another, that should be the spirit that we're coming to one another is, is, a, is a delicacy. I say, listen, I don't want to come down on you. I don't want to pounce on you. Uh, but we got to talk about this. we got to address this. You want to disarm people. You want to be as gentle. And you pray, prayerfully think through, how can I be gentle in addressing this with my brother? And uh, these are, there's a couple scriptures that say exactly this. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Restore people, correct people with gentleness. Not brash harshness, not condemning, not that I, I want to tear you down, not that I want to point out your sin. It's, it's hey, we've got to talk about this. We've got to address this, right? Uh, 2 Timothy 2, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent's with gentleness, gentleness, okay? And, uh, but let me just say one side of that. As much as I want to say to all of you, if you're going to speak to sins in each other's lives, they, it, we need to do that with gentleness. When someone corrects you, they're probably going to do it wrong, okay? Let's just assume they're going to be 50% gentle. And if you say, that was not 100% gentle, I'm not listening to you, just, that's the other assumption you should make, is they're probably going to do it wrong, and so you say, half of what you just told me is, is wrong. You're, being, you're trying to hurt me. You're trying to condemn me. You're trying to judge me, whatever. You're gonna, the only way you're going to be able to receive it is, is if someone can't, they need to be able to speak it to you in a way that's not perfect. Of course, let me just say again in a marriage, that's true. You know, when your spouse addresses something in the marriage, they're probably going to do it wrong. They're probably going to have a bit of, there's probably going to be a little barb in there. There's going to be a little cut in there. It's going to be a, um, uh, a little anger in there. And you have to, you just focus on the half that's true. What part in what they're saying is true? And, uh, and to be able to do that, that that's, uh, you know, to be gentle towards others, but to not demand that everyone be perfectly gentle with me. Uh, that's, that's a... That's a gift, that's a skill, that's wisdom. But I think that's part of, of, of what Jesus is leading us to in addressing conflict. So, so the fourth thing, so let me, just, let me just say what we got so far. Most wrongs should not be judged at all. We overlook, it's the glory of a man to overlook offense. We assume that the other person's offense is only a speck 
in their eyes. They only have a speck. But there's a log. We assume that what's in my own eye is a log. I have a major sin problem I need to address before I'm qualified to speak to anyone else. Fourth, correction requires gentleness. Okay, we're Kleenex in the eye is what we're doing, right? Okay, um, fifth, do not give correction to those who can't receive it. Do not give correction to those who can't receive it. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing, and um, I, I think this is the meaning of this really kind of notoriously difficult verse to interpret, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls bef- uh, before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So what is this talking about? Do not give your pearls to pigs, you know? And usually what that's, a lot of times the way people use that is, don't give the God's grace to people who don't deserve it. If they are, if they're really bad people and don't give them God's grace, which you're like, well, that seems like the complete opposite of the gospel. I mean, aren't we all like pigs who don't deserve God's grace and doesn't he give us the pearls of the kingdom? That doesn't seem right. But I think in context, what it's talking about is that when people correct us, correction is a gift. Correction is a pearl. And uh, that's what Psalm 141 says, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Okay? Rebu- a rebuke is like oil on my head. It's, it's a kindness to be corrected. Uh, Proverbs 3, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So correction is a gift. And correction is like pearls. But uh, some people don't know what to do with correction. You know, I, I, you know, especially, you know, that's partly why Paul says don't correct non-Christians about things they haven't agreed that they believe. You can't say you should believe, you should do what the Bible says. They don't believe the Bible. They don't follow Jesus. The first question they need to ask is who's God and do they love God and do they want to follow Jesus? That's the question that needs to be addressed, not do they do all the things in the Bible. And, um, and so they're not ready for correction, okay? Um, and, and like, a, and, you know, maybe a pig is a graphic image there, but, you know, a pig wants to just eat the pearls, but if a pig tries, you know, that's all pigs do is they eat, and if it tries to eat the pearls, it's going to get hurt, and it says, don't, don't give pearls. They, the, uh, the pig can't appreciate the beauty of the pearls and what they are, and so um, there is a place, you know, Proverbs 9 says this, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Okay, and so what that means is there's other ways that we correct people if if, if they're not ready for it. You know, we we pray for them, we uh, show them an example of a Christian life, and we love them and we care for them. There's other ways. Okay, last thing, last part of the skill of correcting people. Okay, uh, is that judgment, judging others, should always be informed by the gospel. The gospel is the thing that defines this community. And you've heard me say that a lot already through this sermon. The gospel is the thing that makes the aroma, the, uh, the atmosphere of a church that is a gracious atmosphere, not a condemning atmosphere. Because the gospel tells us, first of all, that God is more holy than I think. God is, is demands righteousness. He is profoundly holy. And so um, I'm not, there's no way I could give up my moral, moral uh, you know, critique and... Um, my discriminating faculty, okay, because God is holy, but also the gospel says that I'm way more sinful than I ever imagined. I'm way more sinful than any of you know, <laughs> and, uh, and because of that sin, uh, there's no way that I could, I, I have to be very slow to judge other people because of my own sin, but lastly, the gospel says 
is that there's grace in Jesus. And that grace is amazing. And uh, it's more amazing than I thought. He's covered all my sins that I've ever done and ever will do, have been covered, and he overlooks them. And so um, what that means is that if we are struggling with a critical spirit, if that's you, because I know for many of us, the critical spirit, the condemning thoughts that we have of other people are not thoughts we want to have. We wish we weren't like that. We wish we were charitable. We wish we were gentle and gracious. Let me just tell you, go and bring that to Jesus and tell it to him. Teach me the gospel. Teach me about your grace. Tell, him, tell it to him. And uh, when we hold the gospel as central to this community, shaping the atmosphere of our church, I think it will be very attractive. Because uh, we, God will make us good. God will make us loving and generous people. But also there will be a place for people to come who are sinners that don't have to have their life perfectly together and they can have room, they can have space to grow and still feel like one of God's children. So this is uh, God's calling for us. Uh, let's pray together. Our Lord, many thoughts just in these verses here and um, I pray that I, your commands to us would bear fruit in this church that you would um, produce an, atmosp an atmosphere of grace among us. Teach us to speak to one another. Teach us to resolve conflict. Teach us to correct and receive correction from each other, um, all with the knowledge of the gospel and our security that's in Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.